I don't know about you guys, but man, church has been really good. <laughs> I've, been, I've been ministered to already, and we haven't got to the message yet. That's good. Good news. Well, like Adam said, my name is Dusty, Dusty Snyder. Um, I thought I'd give some of you guys a little bit of background. Some of you probably don't know me. I know I don't know most of you as I look around, and um, you know, that's a, <sighs> feel a little bit bad about that, but that's okay. Um, so, <laughs> I grew up in uh, Vine Grove, Kentucky. Some of you may know that. It's a little town in Hardin County. Yeah, home, uh, Hardin County is home of the movie Elizabethtown. Yeah. Yeah, uh, right. A neighbor to Fort Knox, the Gold Vault. Um, and one of the best Chinese restaurants you'll ever, you know, anywhere that you'll ever be at, Little China House in Vine Grove. You should check that out. <laughs> yeah, I got to throw that in there. I actually worked there right after high school. I was the delivery driver <laughs> for the China House. That summer, right? Um, so, yeah, leaving Vine Grove, I came to Campbellsville University, um, went there, graduated from college, met my wife, Emily. It was a good time. That's when I discovered this place. And, uh, you know, I moved away after college for a little bit, but man, my heart is just drawn to this place and, and you, you guys so much. I had to come back. So uh, we moved back in August. We've been here ever since. Um, Emily works at Lindsay Wilson College. She's a resident director there. So I live on campus at Lindsay Wilson in the girls' dorm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's just as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I also, I work at Campbellsville University, so I make that commute from Columbia every day. I work with John Hansford. Where's John? Ah. Oh. There you are. Yeah, I work with John in the uh, first-year experience uh, department. So, yeah, that's what we're doing, uh, working on community service, stuff like that. Blessing Campbellsville, that's the end of the end goal. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've been part of the preaching team on Sunday nights this semester, and uh, I'm just really thankful for the opportunity this morning to, uh, to speak to you guys. I'm just really privileged because, like I said, this is my home. This is where my heart is. It's with you guys. So, I mean, just being up here, it's, it's kind of a, a dream fulfilled, I think. Um, so it's just really good. Now, my wife, Emily, she would say it's kind of ironic that my first Sunday morning message is a Christmas message. And the reason is, is I've somehow got this reputation in our house of being the Scrooge. <laughs> somehow. I think it's misappropriated. Uh, <laughs> it's because... You know, as soon as it turns November 1st, you know, Christmas music, decorations, all that stuff, Emily's wanting to bring it in. And I'm the one that says back and look, look, most normal people wait until after Thanksgiving. <laughs> so I don't feel like I'm being the Scrooge. I really do love Christmas. I mean, we got the Christmas lights. Well, we did during the, during the interview. We had the Christmas lights up here. I think it's cool. Um, I'm feeling it. So awesome. Yeah. Teamwork right there. <laughs> All right. So what I want to do this morning is, you know, we're in the Advent season, Christmas, and I want to talk about a character in the Christmas narrative that often gets kind of left out, left behind. John the Baptist. Now, yeah, I don't think this guy even has a Christmas song. Anybody, anybody know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I say that you might prove me wrong. The other part of that is saying that in this church, by the time the message is over, we'll probably have a song about John the Baptist. So, yeah. So, yeah, we're eventually going to get to Luke chapter 1, if you want to go ahead and, and turn there. 
that's going to be our our landing point. Yeah, uh, John the Baptist is really integral to the story of Christmas. If you look in all four Gospels, um, at least in the beginning, the story of Jesus and the, and the story of John the Baptist is really woven together in, in every single one. Uh, the Gospel of Mark doesn't even have the Christmas story in there, but it still starts off talking about John the Baptist. Um, and he was the one that, that God appointed to prepare the way for, for Jesus to come. And I think that's a really important, um, really important that he had that role, and we needed him to do that. So with Christmas just a couple of weeks away, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. You know, two more weeks, Christmas will be here. Let's begin now to enter that time of reflection and meditation and prepare our hearts and prepare ourselves for Christmas. So we're going to look at JBAP this morning. Um, we kind of already talked about the Advent season this morning during worship. And uh, in most churches you walk around, probably you'll see, you know, come in, you'll see like a little wreath sitting up n- near the stage, and they got candles and everything's <laughs> decorated, right? And uh, it's this tradition that goes, goes way back um, of Advent. And Advent just means coming, right? And this is this really intentional time for us as the larger church to really just begin to prepare our hearts, to reflect, to meditate. Um, and, it, and it's just really important. You know, and our church forefathers had two purposes um, in giving us this idea of, of Advent. The first is, is that at the same time, we are putting ourselves in the shoes of Israel as they waited for the Messiah, Messiah and we're anticipating the birth of Christ, right? And at the same time that we're doing that, in the present, we're also anticipating the second coming. He's coming again. And that's the promise of Scripture and the promise of the Lord. And that's why Advent is really important. And I think that's also why there's so many rituals and traditions evolved around Christmas, right? We get to this time of year, and I think everybody's mind starts going towards, you know, what's the Christmas tradition we're going to do this year? What, you know, And we all have them in all of our families. Like I mentioned, a lot of churches, you know, they do the Advent wreath and you know, decorate the church and all that other stuff. Um, for me and my family, I was thinking about this. We actually never quite did Christmas the same year to year. And that might be a tradition in itself. Like, there, was, there was always something a little bit different. Um, but I was thinking back, you know, here's some of the con- constants. Um, everybody opens presents differently, right? On our, in our family, we always did it on Christmas morning, as it should be, right? You know, <laughs> as it should be. <laughs> No, sto- no stockings on Christmas Eve, none of that stuff, you know. <laughs> right. Um, the other part of that is we always had it at home as a family. Uh, my dad was in the military, so that's part of how we landed in, in Hardin County. He was in the Army and got stationed at Fort Knox. So all my extended family, my grandparents, um, they live in Pennsylvania. My aunts and uncles, some of them live in Pennsylvania, you know, up in the north. Um, so... You know, we never bothered to travel during the Christmas time. It was for us as a family, so we always we always did that. And then um, the other thing that I always remember doing is we would always go to the Christmas Eve service at our church, and uh, it was actually a really um, a really poignant and special service to me. Um, they would always do a silent Lord's Supper, which is an interesting concept, but um, it's really cool and. Uh, it was just really, even as a kid, like in middle school, I remember it being a time of reflection and meditation. 
during this Christmas Eve service. You know, as a rule, I'm generally not a, fr- um, a fan of piano and organ-led, you know, services and, and church music. But the church I grew up in had the two best players of those instruments probably anywhere. And um, that service was like their time to shine. You know, we just sat in there and listened to Christmas music. And um, it w- I just, thinking back on it, it was, those services were really special to me. Now, now that I've been married, uh, we're going on year four here coming up in May. Uh, yeah. Um, I've begun to get incorporated into the Hamlin family traditions. Um, spent a few Christmases with Emily's family in Kansas City. And they have some traditions that I've, um, you know, been a part of and, and I enjoy. Uh, Emily's family at their church, they also have a Christmas Eve service, but it's really different. Um, it's not Silent Lord's Supper. Uh, they have these, the thing that I always look forward to, we're going this Christmas, I, I'm actually really looking forward to this. They, uh, they put these slides up on the projector and, uh, you know, Christmas music and songs and all the lyrics. Um, but they're these, like, really old you know, from the 90s slides that have, like, the moving in images and pictures and stuff. <laughs> so picture this one in your mind. You got the nativity scene, right? And right in the middle is the manger, and the animation is this pulsing light. <laughs> okay? And I don't know if it's something about the color of the picture or maybe the projector, but the pulsing light isn't, like, yellow, bright, and gold. It's this, like, neon green all right, so you got that picture in your head. So, yeah, every year when I go to, to Emily's family's church Christmas Eve service, we're always looking for radioactive Jesus on the projector. <laughs> really looking forward to that this year. Um, most of Emily's family's traditions, they all happen on Christmas Eve. So after the Christmas Eve service, we'll come back to her house, and uh, we do open stockings. And that's actually, you know, even though we don't do it on Christmas Day, like, you know, I said it should be done. Um, it's always an event. Her dad, like, takes, you know, that's like the one thing on Christmas he's in charge of. Um, he's already told us this year to be expecting the theme for the stockings. He always has to have a theme. This theme is urban survival. I don't, I don't even know what that means. So, Yeah. Urban survival, I'm not sure what to expect. I don't know, like, flashlight, I don't... What's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, coffee, maybe, I don't know. But that, uh, so we got stockings. That always comes after our surf and turf Christmas Eve dinner, which I highly recommend. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, and then uh, we always end Christmas Eve watching a few holiday movies, you know, the classics, A Christmas Story and Christmas Vacation. Yeah, so that's what I'm looking forward to this year. You know, and there's, I think there's just something for us as people that um, when we get involved with ritual and we get involved in tradition, it really prepares ourselves and connects us to reflecting and meditating and, and thinking about um, why we do all this stuff that we actually even do, you know. Um, tradition and, and ritual really add meaning and value to, to what we do. Uh, it's the very reason why, as the Israelites were leaving Egypt, God told them, you know, you're going you're gonna to celebrate this Passover meal, Passover meal year after year. You know, uh, it's just part of the way we were made. There's value in tradition. And so the idea of preparation or preparing the way 
is really important. And um, I think that's why John the Baptist had to come first. There's something about us as humans that just need preparation. It's like, I don't know about you guys, but um, if I come to church, there's a difference between when I've actually prepared my heart and when I just show up. You know, When I've actually prepared my heart, taken the time maybe on the drive over to, to express my thanks to God, to just begin to set my mind on Him, you know, I get more out of church. And that's, that's not to say that church is all about you know, what you get out of it. But it's true that when I prepare myself, I get more out of it. You know, um, I'm able to worship more freely when I've prepared myself for church. I hear God more clearly. And I leave feeling refreshed rather than frustrated. Some of you know what I'm talking about, you know. <laughs> so, you know, this idea of preparation is not a foreign concept to us. You know, everything from athletics to music, um, we were talking about this morning, business. You know, we can't see our full potential in these areas if we don't prepare ourselves. You know, you can't just show up for a job interview and expect to get the job. Um, you can't just show up to your exam and expect to get an A. Anything worth doing requires preparation. And uh, John the Baptist's ministry was important because he got people ready for Christ and the coming kingdom of God. All right, so everybody is in Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, 67 through 80. It will be the scriptures. And uh, so just to kind of set this up a little bit, the, all the circumstances around, around John the Baptist's birth were all supernatural. All right? um, since you have your Bibles open there, you don't, um, we're not going to put it on the screen, but in verse 7, um, it just says this about uh, Jabab's parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And they were both very old. It was, what it's really saying is, it was medically impossible for her to have a kid, right? So that was one of the first things. Um, the next part of it that was supernatural in the story is, Zechariah is in the temple, which really, if you kind of begin to look into that, was really supernatural in and of itself, because this is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be in the temple. And while he's in there, an angel visits him. And uh, so the angel, this is what he says to Zechariah. He says, but the angel said, don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. That's got some power on it, right? <laughs> I think the part that really stuck out to me this time when I was reading it, preparing for the message, I mean, God even said be before he was even going to be born, John the Baptist was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's so good. <laughs> it's so good. All right. Um, next in the story, what happens is, uh, you know, we, we're familiar with, you know, Gabriel coming and visiting Mary and, and, and telling her about the promise on her life. And so Mary gets the good news. So she has to go visit her cousin Elizabeth. And as soon as she speaks... 
little fetus John in Elizabeth's belly leaps, right? And uh, Elizabeth gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only that, she immediately knows what happened to Mary. Like, Mary hasn't even said, you know, I've just been, I've just been impregnated, and I've never laid with Joseph. <laughs> she, she immediately knows. She has that divine revelation. All right, and then uh, finally, when it comes time to name the baby, Zechariah has been silent all this time because he didn't believe the angel in the temple. I mean, why should he? No, obviously he should have. So he didn't believe the angel. (laughs) He didn't believe the angel so that, you know, don't talk back to Gabriel because he'll just make you silent for nine months. (laughs) So then... (laughs) So when it comes time to name the boy, everybody's like, let's name him after his papa. Zachary's like, no, no. Um, He tells him what he's supposed to be called, John, and then he's able to speak. And that's where we get to this prophecy in verse 67. So this will be up on the screen. Then his father, Zachariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David. Just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. The covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We've been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. In holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. And to guide us to the path of peace. And John grew up and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. Adam and I were actually talking about this verse earlier this week. And um, he expressed this, and I kind of silently agreed with him, that this this little prophecy is, was sort of a, a throwaway passage for us, maybe in years past, reading this. But that's just so good, <laughs> you know. It's really good. So I'm really glad that um, the Lord's highlighted it to both of us in this Advent season. And there's a, there's a few elements from this prophecy that I want to draw out and kind of highlight for us this morning. And... Uh, Really, this prophecy kind of has it all. Um, you start off, he's you know talking about salvation, um, talking about the coming Savior. And so that's the first thing. Um, Zechariah looks ahead, and he sees um, the coming of Christ, and he prophesies what it mean, will mean for hum- humanity. And what it means is this, that God is coming himself to earth to make everything right. right? That he's going to redeem his people. He's going to forgive their sins, and he's going to bring us out of darkness and reveal to us the good kind of life. You know, Sermon of the Mount kind of stuff. As I said before, Zechariah was silent throughout the pregnancy, right? And uh, this silence, it was symbolic. It was symbolic of the silence that God... um, the silence that God had had been, you know, completely silent to Israel for the previous 400 years. 
you know, between Old Testament and the book of Matthew, there hadn't been any, anything. They hadn't heard anything from the Lord. And so they were all anticipating and, and waiting for the coming of the Messiah, waiting for another prophet to come and speak. And so for 400 years, they had heard nothing. And then finally, Zechariah is able to speak. And everything that he spoke revealed the heart of the Lord, that it was, it was good news for his people. You know, he didn't speak um, a rebuke or a, a judging word. You know, what he was saying was that the Lord had come to be with his people and to make a way for intimacy with his creation forevermore. Now, uh, my favorite Christmas song, Christmas Carol, is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's one of those ones that really, you know, hits me right here. And I think part of it is because uh, you have to hear my wife sing it because it's just really beautiful. And every time she sings it, (laughs) yeah, every time she sings it, it just touched me. Um, So that's why it's become my favorite song. And uh, last last week, Adam really touched on uh, the word Emmanuel and what it means. So it kind of stole my thunder a little bit because I wanted to talk about it. But, yeah. Um, so Emmanuel means God with us, right? And uh, this prophecy shows us, again, that God has come to be with us. You know, he's not a faraway God. He's present and he's near. All right, the second thing that I want to draw out from this is that that Zechariah was showing, showing us um, as a church and, and, and the people then that there's a new kind of life for God's people. Um, I just want to highlight verse 30, uh, 74, sorry, 74 and 75. It says, uh, We have been rescued from our enemies so that we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. You know, we can serve God without fear. And this, this theme of business has been all over the meeting this morning. You know, there's no reason to be afraid if you're serving God, right? Like, you can take that risk. You can be that risk taker and that gambler. Um, there's no fear or anxiety there. You know, we've been delivered from our enemies. Anything that's going to hold us back, God's already taken care of. The other part of that is that because he's done that for us, our only response is a holy and righteous life. Right. So now that God is here, that the light has come, we can't go on living in the darkness. You know, when the light of the world, Jesus, <laughs> just to make that clear, has come, you got two choices, right? You can either step out into the light or you can go hide in the darkness. There's a new kind of life for us. And there's no fear of stepping out in the light. Like, he's a good and he's a kind Savior. He's come to forgive your sins, not throw you out into light so everybody can point and laugh, you know. He's faithful to every last one of his promises. He doesn't go back on his word. And really what he wants to do is guide us down a path of peace. And we really need peace. We really do. I don't know if you've noticed, 
but there's a lot of fear-mongering going around out in the world. <laughs> Maybe you haven't. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Is anybody familiar with, uh, there's this story, it's been made into, a, it, it started out as a book, it's been made, it, it was made into a radio drama and a, a movie called War of the Worlds. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was listening to this podcast earlier this week, um, which, okay, if you don't know what War of the Worlds is, don't go look it up on Wikipedia, although you could. Um, check out this podcast. It's called Radio Lab, one word, Radio Lab. Uh, really well done. They explain the whole thing. Just look it up on iTunes, find the episode about War of the Worlds. It was really interesting. So um, in 1938, this guy named Orson, Orson Welles decided he was going to do this radio drama based on the book War of the Worlds. All right. Um, the premise of the book is this. Sounds really believable. Trust me. <laughs> Martians come, invade the earth, destroy everything. Right? <laughs> Entire premise of the book. Orson Welles looks at this book and says, I'm going to do this, make it a radio broadcast, like a radio drama, you know, 1938. There weren't many other options for entertainment. So he takes this really believable storyline, Martians come to earth, destroy everything, turns into this radio broadcast. And by the end of it, people panicked, okay? One out of 12 people that heard it went out in the street and panicked and rioted and did all these other things. They really, like, it was so well done that in their hearts they said, oh, my gosh, we're all going to die. And they ran out the house. All right? Um, There was a couple of things that made it really believable. They did start the performance saying, you know, everything that follows is just, you know, a drama, storytelling, whatever. But then... They get on this live, you know, orchestra, band, or whatever, and it's just like, it, you know, any sort of radio thing. And so it goes on for a while, and then they break in. And um, you're familiar with this type of breaking because you see it every day, where the, the broadcaster gets on the radio and he says, um, we interrupt this performance to bring you breaking news, right? And then the news follows. So they, they start that with, you know, like um, scientists have been reporting some some weird activity coming from Mars or something like that. And it's like, whatever. So it goes back to the band, and they play some music, and then they break in. We interrupt this performance to tell you that something has landed in New Jersey. And then it goes on. And people really bought it. It's actually, they, they did it so well that this, that this performance has been replicated a couple of times, and people still went out in the streets and rioted. <laughs> right? 1949, uh, in Ecuador, they decided to do a Spanish version. <laughs> the whole army, the whole army left town to go fight these invading Martians. They bur- when they found out what happened, they burned down the radio station. <laughs> then in, in 1968, in Buffalo, they decided to do it, you know. It, yeah. People still panic. All right. So what's the point? The point is that this formula, like, people in the media have seen this formula, and they realize, what's going to get people's attention? Right? It's fear. You see this every night, um, if you're watching TV, the 11 o'clock news programs do this really well, right? You know, tune in at 11, we're going to show you all the hidden dangers in your child's schools, you know? (laughs) It's fear, you know? 
they know it's going to get your attention. Even though I like, even though I know, like, if I've watched that program, I'm just going to be like shenanigans. There's still part of me that's like, Man, I kind of want to know what's going on. <laughs> what if it's real? No, look, it's just fear. They figured it out. It's called the Wells, you know, the Wells formula. You know, people have been doing it for years. So what we really need, we really need peace. We really need it. That's what the Lord has for us. The other part of this prophecy is, is that it, it speaks to us about who John the Baptist was. He was the forerunner, right? And uh, we've kind of already said why it's important. But I think um, the story of the John the Baptist is important for us because each of us can have a similar ministry. If you'll put John 1.8 up on the screen, it says this about, about J-Bap in the Gospel of John. It says, John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. I think it's really easy to put your own name in that verse, you know. It's so easy to put yourself in that, in that own verse, you know. And so the question is, what witness do you have? And I'm not talking about some sort of, like, Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays culture war, you know. <laughs> like, seriously, what witness do you have? What revelation of God's goodness, mercy, and love do you have? Yeah. Like, the act of answering that question should be a part of this season of Advent. You know, and, and as you answer this question, you're not just going to be preparing your own heart, but hopefully you're going to be bringing others along with you and drawing others to Christ. I think there really is a part of, of John the Baptist's destiny in all of us, you know. John had a, a fruitful ministry. Ma- many people came to him, right? He had many disciples. Some of them stuck around even after Jesus showed up. But a lot of them started following Jesus, right? Like, so, you know, what's the point of preparing our hearts for Christ and showing others the way? Like, John the Baptist is a good example of what can happen. Like, Jesus didn't have the 12 disciples, right? You know, you know this, right? There weren't just the 12. There were a bunch of other people that followed him around. You look in Luke chapter 10, it says he sent out 72, you know? Um, part of me wonders if that would have even been possible or if that would have happened if John the Baptist hadn't come first, you know? And he, that story about 72 coming and, um, and Jesus sending him out to uh, heal the sick, cast out demons, um, do the stuff. Like, that just gets me excited anyways, because it means for me and you that we have a part to play. Like, we're part of the team. We get to play. It wasn't just the 12, you know, those special guys, but, you know, all the disciples around Jesus, he's just, you know, you guys should just go out and do this stuff. The other thing about John the Baptist story that I want to point out um, is that everyone involved got filled with the Holy Spirit. If you look at Luke one uh, fifteen. Gabriel tells Zechariah that the boy, John the Baptist, is going to get filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. Right? Well, what God had to pour out was so good, it wasn't just for John the Baptist, but everyone in his circle got touched. When Mary visited Elizabeth, little fetus John the Baptist jumps in her womb, 
Elizabeth gets filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Zechariah, he's faithful and he obeys God. He ends his silence when he names his son John. Then he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gives us this prophecy. Um, and then two, Mary comes around, comes around Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth starts prophesying over her, she starts singing a song. And I read that she gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I don't go around singing songs of praise with, about the Lord unless I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, everybody in the story got touched. You know, so so what does that have to do with me and you and Christmas and all this other stuff? You know. It means that, you know, a promise that the Lord has for one person isn't just for that person. Like, the anointing was for John the Baptist, but it was for everyone else around him. The other thing about it was that the story of John the Baptist's birth and life and his ministry, it was a, it was a sign of things to come, right? He was both the last one to live under the old covenant and the first one to start walking in the new. If you look at uh, Matthew 11, it's going to be up on the screen. 11 through 15, it says this. I tell you the truth, all of you have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets in the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophet said would come anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand under the old covenant perhaps one person in an entire generation would get touched by the holy spirit and partner with god to do his will right but john the baptist he's a sign of things to come he got filled with the holy spirit everybody around with him he got filled with the holy spirit they all became part of the the calling that god had on john's life and the work that the lord had to do in the, in the earth all of them Emmanuel has come. God is with us. He pours out his spirit on everybody. He's not holding back anymore. See, what we, what we need now isn't more Christmas spirit. We need more Holy Spirit, right? The time is now. The Lord has come. He's here, and he's coming again. You can receive the Lord now, not just because it's Christmas, but because he's here now. Today is the day. So sometimes, you know, sometimes we just need someone else to show us the way. And if you don't relate to that, that comment, you know, like, I need someone to show me the way, then I think you should be showing someone else the way, right? But if it is you that you need somebody, you should be finding somebody that can show you the way. <laughs> Because the truth is, is that the Christmas song being sung over all of us is grace and peace. The Lord is really good, and he has good things for us. Right? He didn't come to make things more difficult. He came to make them right. He came to redeem his people. He didn't come with judgment. He came with forgiveness. He came to, to be a light for our path. Like The Lord didn't leave heaven 
allow himself to get placed in a, as we said last week, a, a hygienically risky situation, be raised by a teenager just to give us a bunch of rules to follow, right? Think about this one. The fact that we even have the phrase Christ child says something about who the Lord is. <laughs> like the Lord came that we might experience real mercy, true joy, the deepest love, peace that defies all understanding. He came to make the impossible possible. So that we can live with righteousness, that we can be holy, that we wouldn't know fear, and that our feet would walk on the path of our destiny. All of that is available to us today, this Christmas season, and forever. So this is what I want to do. I want to let's let's all stand up.